The Pinball Network is online. Launching Pinball Innovators and Makers Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Pinball Podcast focused on the innovators and makers who are crafting homebrew, custom, and retheme pinball machines, the technology that makes these personal projects possible, and the companies helping with these journeys. Custom pinballs are a deeply personal and technically challenging undertaking, requiring time, money, knowledge, and most importantly, the desire to make it happen. I'm Dan Rosenstein, your host. Join me and let's go under the play field and see what's needed to make a custom pinball possible. We're in the beautiful Pacific Northwest in Gig Harbor, Washington, and I've got a very special guest. Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Aaron Davis. I am with Fast Pinball. And this is uh we're in the fast pinball layer right now, I guess. Uh, it was cool to have you here. Yeah, no, this is new. It's it's super good to be here. This is actually other than the recording on the uh, second episode where I interviewed my daughter for a little bit based on her experience at Expo. This is my first time doing it live with with one of our guests. So I'm super super happy ha- to have you on. So, uh, Aaron, why don't you quickly start with your origin story? Like, how'd you get into pinball? Let's see. Uh, God, you think I'd have the story down by now? Um, <laughs> Way, way back, like, I guess when I was a kid, like, I looked at, like, you know, when I was a grown-up, I was going to own arcade games and stuff. And so I got into, like, restoring some classic Nintendo games and stuff like that. But um, my dad had picked up some pinball, and he'd had a tavern in the U District in Seattle, like, when he was younger. And when my uncle retired and moved to Costa Rica later in life, he still had the Royal Flush pinball machine they had in the bar. You know, I think it was uh, Royal Flush and Matahari, but still had that. And so he ended up picking up that... uh that game for my uncle and set out to repair it, you know, and he's like, you know, all this information's online. You can fix these things. And I'm like, of course. So it was about that same time that um, we started tinkering with um, pinball from a, you know, that was when like RGB LEDs and stuff were coming out. And it just seemed like a really cool way to like build and do some cool stuff. So I worked with some different people along the way, but I eventually partnered up with uh, Dave Beecher um, and Dave designs all our electronics and everything else. And so, um, really for me, pinball was like a vehicle for like, you know, kind of this later in life renaissance, learning new things kind of experience. And so that was really the big driver was a, like seeing pinball that my dad had and, you know, he started restoring and repairing games and stuff. Um, and then, you know, the desire to create and build new things. And, uh, it was funny. It, he, he does, uh, pinball ramps. He's, uh, the free play 40 on pin side. Oh. And so uh, a lot of people come to see me at shows. They're like, hey, I know your dad. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> but I told him, I was like, you should, you should make ramps. I don't have a ramp resource. And he's like, I don't want to do that. And then months later, like, he'd made his first, like, high-speed ramps. He's like, check these out. So um, that was the first game that he did. But so it really got into, like, it was kind of around, and it was intriguing. And I'd been doing, like, software, you know, web stuff for 20 years, and I needed something new. So Fast Pinball was really a vehicle for like learning um, a lot of new things. And Dave Beecher and I like spent years on video calls through the night. My wife tells stories about us just out there giggling about whatever cool <laughs> board we're working at the time. And it, it's just awesome. I mean, that was really like, you know, I got into pinball around making and creating things. And it really quickly turned into building platforms to build things. And so the desire to build a pinball machine has been secondary to you know, helping other people be able to build and create. So it started out with exposure with your dad, and uh-huh. then it goes to, you know, the necessity to repair the machines. Right. And then it goes into, instead of only ownership and buying new machines and playing, it really goes on the tech side yeah. and figuring out how you can parlay your your daytime work to to the start making friendships. And then that 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 that's the early genesis of fast. That's that's awesome. So what, what are some of your favorite types of pinballs to play? Um, I mean, I, like I... I'm not a huge fan of like the super complex. You got to like commit major parts of your life to learn learn the real side. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like to me, pinball was always like, Hey, you got a quarter, see how long you can survive. And so my favorite depth of games tend to be like, you know, I don't know, like like black Knight 2000 was like, you know, it's one of my favorite games. They're high speed and stuff like that. Just where it's like, you can kind of get familiar with the physical nature of the game and then like just kind of goof around on it. But We'd had like in downtown Gig Harbor here, uh, we had an office space down there for a while and the downstairs area was across from this Mexican cantina and we had a little storefront that we turned into a public arcade for a while. We closed that down just before COVID when they kept trying to raise the rent and then we got out. Oh, I didn't know that was you. Yeah, we got out just in time, which was worked out well. But um, 
But so pinball was always like, take a break from coding all day and go and play. So it was like the idea of like taking a break and then going on a big, complicated quest and journey was not at least to me, it wasn't the attraction. Yeah, I'm, I'm not extremely good at pinball. Like, I love to play. I've been playing for years. But I'm, I'm looking around. I see No Good Gophers, Whitewater, Tales of the Arabian Nights, Funhouse, um, Swords of Vengeance. And it's like you, you've you got exactly – and Whirlwind. You've got exactly yeah. the, the what I consider the best best era of machines. Yeah. The rule set's just hard enough that it makes the mm-hmm. game interesting to play. The They're fun. You know, they're every single one of these is a fun machine. Yeah. And mo- more importantly, they're they're absolute classics. So. Well, and we've spent a lot of time too with like our retro platform. Like we're we're putting new electronics into these games, and then emulating the original game ROMs and stuff like that. So when we were picking titles that we wanted to like mess with, it was like let's you know, we got some in WPC ninety five, WPC you know eighty nine, and then the System eleven stuff. Those are our focuses right now. So getting a sampling of these um, was ideal. And yeah, you know, I should give a shout out to uh, uh, Todd McCullough. Uh, I've oh. got, that's his Whirlwind, and that's his Tales of Arabian Nights. Um, you know, we've, he's been a huge supporter of us all along. And, you know, when we've, you know, a lot of people in the community have been really great when we say like, Hey, can we borrow a game? Like Dan Halligan loaned us his fun house and it's been here for like two years, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but that's where like, you know, we, we hope to keep the reputation in line with like, if fast asked to borrow a game, you should let them borrow it. And maybe there'll be some fun stuff in it when you come back out the other side. So it's, it's actually interesting that you mentioned both Todd McCullough and Dana Halogen, who are very well known in, in the Pacific Northwest and the football community and arcade community, yeah. but also nationwide as well. Um, Dana Halogen actually told me that you have the desire to make the Pacific Northwest, the Northwest Pinball and Arcade Show, the best show for homebrew. And I believe that's a direct quote, what he told me. Yeah. And so later on, I want to I discuss this with you. So, to, total shout out to Dan, who's, who's, who's a buddy of, of both of ours. Um, but, but before we go in, in, into the Northwest Pinball and Arcade Show, though, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? You started to talk about how you got into the fast business mm-hmm. and homebrew. What is it about homebrew that, and customs that drew you, drew you in? And also tell me that, and the listener about uh, uh, what do you view as the difference between customs and homebrews? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's almost more like, I guess you can play with the definitions of that. I mean, like custom is like, you know, I'm, I mean, do you call custom like, like retheming or like, what is custom to you? I guess. So a, a, a custom for me is a retheme or, re, or, or, or reskin where, okay. Yeah, it, 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 that that would that would be. So it's like a new, like you're redressing a game with a new theme or something. Yeah, but in 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 it's 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 a totally good question. It's not like I've you know done a doctoral thesis sure. on this or anything. <laughs> um, but I also think that um modifying the the game ROM and leaving the rest of the game, like I think if you leave some major aspect of the game, let's mm-hmm. let's 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 start with this working definition. Sure. If you leave okay. some major aspect of the game and change out other aspects, whether it's art, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, game, uh, 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 game rules, um. You know, te- uh, technology, et, et, et cetera. I think that's probably my my working of custom. Oh, okay. so I mean, and so what I describe that as is like a retheme. Mm-hmm. Like basically, you're taking something that like you know the geometry is awesome, like you love it, but you're gonna put a new theme over the top yeah. of it and create. A, so that's what like um, uh, Anthony Van Winkle did with uh, uh, his Mass Effect Two game. Yeah, um, it started off as kind of a retheme of of Game of Thrones, and then it took on its own form from there. You know, so it was borrowing the geometry and stuff like that. So Maybe it started initially as kind of retheming it, but then became a custom game or like a like a homebrew custom mm-hmm. game from there. So I think that like homebrew, I mean, it's it's just these terminology. Everyone's got their different interpretation <laughs> of it. But what I think is probably the driver, uh, maybe the unifying thing with homebrew is it's like I'm not doing this as a business. Mm-hmm. And so I have extra time, money, space, and I want to just build something. And I think that um Typically, like in the homebrew space, a lot of that started from physical building. You know, I'm cutting wood, I'm bending yeah. metal, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that that is, um, it's accessible for a lot of us. You know, a lot of people have cool tools to use things or friends that have tools or maker spaces or just want a reason to justify buying a new tool. Um, I think that homebrew to me is really just like, what, what, is, what is it you're trying to bring into your life? And in this case, it's pinball. And I think that, you know, what we've seen in our fast community um, is it's, it brings in a lot of like-minded people. I mean, it's typically like, you know, people, I mean, I, I guess I, I, for a long time, it was, you know, 40-ish, 30-ish, 40-ish, 50-ish people who were, um, you know, just want something cool to do. Um, now it's spanning even younger. I mean, we had like a, a kid, um, Brendan, who was in, I think he was in eighth grade at the time, like brought his game to the Northwest show last year. I don't know if you saw the, the space game it was based on like a, a it was like a retheming of, of uh, baby pack. Um, 
So, I mean, he was, the, that was the youngest person to come in the mix. Yeah. We have, we have a timeshare in Chelan, Washington. And okay. It happens to be that first week of June. Oh. And unfortunately it's been a few years since I've been at the show. However, mm. and, and it varies week over week. And yeah. so I haven't been to the show in a few years, but I will be there this year. So no, I didn't That's get a awesome. chance to see it. Well, and I, I think that the, the, the big thing is that like, you know, there's a lot of people that build pinball because it's, it's a creative outlet, you know? I mean, we have like users who have, uh, you know, build rides for Disney, like Land Rovers on Mars, who think that what we're doing is cool. And I'm like, <laughs> you're doing, you're doing the cool stuff, you know? Uh, but I think that like, really it's, it's it, like, I, I don't know, like my, one of my favorite things is like, when you see the people in our, in our, in our fast Slack channel that are like, you know, they used to be the new people. Now they're helping the newer people uh, because they just went through that experience. And so I love seeing people kind of share and pass that stuff forward because I mean, we're all just a few, you know, experiments or, or, or uh, tests or trials ahead of the newest people coming in all the time. So it's really great to see all that stuff um, um, get at, shared, you know? Uh, after the, the, your experience with, I think you said Matahari and Royal Flush, if uh -huh. I remember correctly. Um, did you go at any point to try to build a homebrew yourself or? Yeah, there's, there's ashes of, or not ashes. It's like, <laughs> uh, startups of, of games around here. I mean, I, I had done like a project, um, a peanuts pinball machine that's the oh, cabinet up there oh cool uh, i didn't see that um the play field's here someplace i can't remember where i put it um but that was a project that i actually started with um one of the people that worked for me with my day job um he's a comic artist and so it was like an idea of like hey why don't we let's you know and it was a very quiet guy like let's uh let's have this be a team building thing and stuff like that and um you know he's the kind of guy that studies the initial pens that the artists originally used. So I was like, start drawing pinball themes and stuff like that. And so it was a cool project. Um, he ended up, um, he struggled a lot with mental health and um, eventually uh, ended up like taking his own life. Oh, I'm so sorry. that took that project into a kind of dark place. Yeah. So uh, I love seeing the artwork. I mean, he did a great job on it and stuff like that, but that was kind of a crap. I don't, I, I, I got to set this aside for a little bit here. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of times the projects I end up working on tend to be vehicles for things we're testing and trying out and stuff like that. So um, I made the, uh, the, I don't know if you've ever seen the portable pinball machine I did yeah. that like folds up. So, I mean, that was the first thing that I built, but that was based off like an existing Aztec play field. I mean, I think that uh, there's so many things that, you know, I can't share yet because a lot of the things I work on are helping other people build and create things for their businesses and stuff. So you know, while I have nothing one-to-one -to, -one to show as I built this, like someone had described it as like, your hands have been on so many things, <laughs> you know? And I think that I fortunately find a lot of joy in that part. <laughs> like, I don't need to be like, look at the game I made. Like, it's it's kind of like the journey. I'm a journey person. So the journey is like what I enjoy. And I think that working on pinball with a lot of different people affords me to like jump on rides with different people all, of, all over the place and then kind of carry on and jump onto the next one. So. Yeah. I, I work on platforms for a living and okay. I've, I've done it for the last quarter century. I'm oh, in nice. software as well. Yeah. Um, I, I work on robotics platforms specifically. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, before I did the work that I currently do, mm -hmm. I, I was really involved with the maker community, and, but building platform for the maker community. So it was very similar that, um, I, I was building a lot of technology that I watched other people, yeah. you know, uh, bridge off of start driving their own community, helping mm -hmm. a lot of the same, the same, parallels you said and something that i saw and you're one of the reasons that there's a catalyst that the you know you along with with with, with jerry and, and and a few others mm -hmm. from from multimorphic um who really catalyzed the ability for people to work on their own oh, machines yeah. um and so i want to you, you know I, I definitely applaud you for you know focusing on building a platform helping others mm -hmm. be able to be successful um and and so let let's use that as a as a bridge to too fast. Like you talked a little bit about how it started, but if you can go back and tell a little bit more about that origin story, how you built the team together, and and you know what what your goals are with fast. Well, I'd say like once like Dave Beecher and I started working together, um, you know, it was one of those areas where I you know I tend to be more of like like the visionary. Like I can I can see these things as if they're real, and I think that getting to work with Dave Beecher and like. Eli Kurtz and Brian Madden, like that's my, that's my, we're the four, we're, that's the core group of us here. Um, when I first started working with Dave, that was the first experience I ever had going from software world. Cause I mean, I, I built real estate mm -hmm. platforms for 20 years, you know, so getting to uh, a physical product was a whole new like experience. I mean, like the first time code I wrote, like moved something on a board that I influenced that Dave put together. Um, it was like par with the birth of a child. Right. I was like, this is amazing. And so I think that like um, the 
the real attraction to, I guess, like building and making things is what really like turned me on to all of this. You know, and I think that um, when Dave and I first met, um, you know, he was the first engineer that I'd met that was like, Hey, we can shoot some, you know, shoot around some ideas and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, is this guy like not legit? Like an engineer that wants to like explore ideas with you. Um, so, I mean, but very quickly it was like, Holy crap, this guy makes amazing stuff. And so the idea of, you know, like he's said in interviews and stuff we've done before that, like, you know, I, I'll tell him that, like, I think the board needs to be this big and these things should be laid out here. And he'll say, like, you know, I've never had somebody tell me what size my board gets to me before <laughs> I make something, you know. And and so, I mean, we just have a lot of fun with that. And, like, you know, the idea of, like, challenging, um, you know, I, I, I love, like, an architect engineer model where it's kind of like, this is the amazing thing I want to see built. And then the engineer will look at it as like, this is the how you make it perfect and rock solid. And you challenge each other to create greater things or to to conceive more achievable ideas and stuff like that. So that's that was the attraction to all these things. And that's why, like, again, like, you know, we were spending, you know, we both have, were busy with all our day job stuff. And so, like, it tended to be like, you know, from nine ish or so at night till way too early in the morning and stuff and it was it was your night job oh yeah i mean there were there were times where i mean i typically i'm the one who's like i'm pushing the you know we're going later and later and later everybody else is going i gotta go to bed so they usually call that and there was one night where dave and i were first working together very early on where i was up at his house and i'm sitting there building something and i hear birds tweeting i'm like what time is it And it's like five in the morning and i'm like an hour or so from his house my kids get up to go to school and if i'm not there to like get them up and get them breakfast and stuff like that like it's going to be a problem, you know? So, so it was just, it was the attraction of like, what other cool things can we make? Now, um, I, I will say, um, right before we started recording, you got a phone call. Um, and you know, just in, in hearing that phone call aside, I can most definitely tell the listener that you are a very technical person. I won't go obviously into the details of what that sure, call sure. was. Um, but it is, it is, and I've known this for years. Um, but I know you, like, I would, I would not sell yourself short as being a technical engine, you know, engineering minded per, uh, person. You, 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 you definitely made, made, made that very clear. Um, I, well, I guess I would say with that, and this is something that I didn't realize until way late in my life that like what I'm good at is making very complicated things like understandable yeah. and conversational. I don't need to have every nuanced understanding of every piece and part of something to be able to like be engaged in it. And I think that that's where like, you know, working with the people I do who are way better at everything that I am um, is amazing because, you know, I, I feel guilty because I feel like I do the fun part and they're like, hate to break it to you, but that shit you do is awful. Like I do not want to do what you do. We get to do the fun part, which is, that's awesome. That's a great uh, working relationship. For uh, I'm 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 100 there with you. So um, you know, I've always been interested in in physical things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when, ever since I was six, I wanted to go work on robots. Like that was that was my thing. Um, I've been around pinball for for a very long time since I was 13. Nice. And um, it, so I had I had the luxury of having programmed physical systems for okay. for a very long time. So I want to get your take on when you when you saw a you know a light light up for the first time or mm -hmm. a motor spin or a switch register as as a as a in, you know inside a bit or you know be able to to to, to mask it off memory. What what were some of the the feelings that you had at that point? I mean, I like I said before, it was like you know oh my gosh, like this is you know this is something that it now exists. Like I can see things moving, you know, and and I, I think that like. That, um, like everything in my career has been based out of like, I don't know how to do that. I need to figure out how to do that. Now I know how to do that. And it's like, like, I, I'm not good at appreciating in the moment how great something is, um, uh, because I'm already on to the next thing, you know? And so I think that that's where, um, it really does take the work that other people do with that stuff to really make me see it. Like, you know, there was a, uh, uh, there's been plenty of times at these different shows we go to where we all get together and you see everybody's projects, you know? and I mean, there was a point in time where I knew everybody that was building a fast pinball project. And now it's like, I, people tell me, let's like, say, yeah, this is built on your board. So I'm like, what was your name again? Like, and not, not in like, a, not in like a crappy way. It's just like, you know, we have a lot of users who have very no, similar sure. names from all over the world and stuff. And now once they, I, once I familiarize the project, now I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. And I think that that's what, like, I love seeing what people do and create with these things, because I, I don't know, like. I, I think that the idea of 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 building and creating stuff is like it's it's almost like it's an endpoint, you know. And I'm not like a destination person, so it's like as soon as I see like we're kind of wrapping up here and we're finishing fine tuning things, like I'm losing interest. So I think that like it's kind of like helping people get their project going, and then kind of like they're on their own, 
and then eventually it pops up somewhere as this game I can walk up and play. Right. That is amazing. Um, so, so when, uh, you know, I, I spent a long time doing software just like you mm-hmm. and, you know, coming out of a digital world, it's like you turn something on in, in the digital world, it turns on instantly yeah. when you turn it off, it turns off instantly. And for me, kind of the, my life lesson of physical systems, um, and, you know, I'd, I'd love your perspective on it is, you know, physical systems take time to make, you know, activate a switch. They, you sure. know, it might be milliseconds, might be nanoseconds. It takes some time for a motor or a solenoid to, to ramp up and, and engage mm-hmm. and physical systems can fail. It's not, not just a binary state. Right. Um, from, from that learning, how did, you know, did you, did, did you encounter the same learning and did you, did you parlay that into how you approach what, what you do with fast? I mean, I, I think that this is just an area where um, getting to do what I do with fast with like Dave, like, I mean, I, I, understand how a lot of this stuff works um dave actually executes it in the way that's going to be stable reliable i mean he's <laughs> he's been doing engineer for like a bazillion years and like the stuff that he makes you know i've i've definitely been spoiled by as you know i'm rough with the boards and like you know plugging things in hot swap and all this stuff because he designs them to be like stable mm-hmm. for real use environments and stuff where you might be using a different board and, and you unplug it while it's still powered on and it blows up the processor. Like that's a bad design, right. you know? I mean, it was probably a cost decision to not put that extra protection in, but I think that's just where like the physical nature of making things move. It's like, I get it. And I've definitely like benefited from the idea that like the way that it's executed in like the fast platform is the most, you know, the, the best way to do it for stability, for use in pinball, for, right kind of parts for overall like you know safety of, of the parts the power that you i mean all that kind of stuff so it it very much like lets me think about what i want it to be and i can benefit from like you know uh, it's the design work that dave does the guardrails that he puts into it and mm-hmm. then even pairing in like you know all the software stuff that eli is doing with these things too it's like i just don't need to stress those little things so i guess back to your main question it's like you know it's almost like like novel, you know, if you look at like, you know, you're describing like, you know, electronics, I mean, I got into everything on, on web-based server software, all those things. And then you started getting into like asynchronous stuff where now you got to start coordinating things. So it was kind of like about the same time I was getting into asynchronous software development was like working on the electronics. And so now you got to think of when these things happen and what happened first and things like that. So um, really it was kind of interesting to see that like so much of modern software design and approach is based off of, you know, the physical things that existed before. You right. Know? So it's like, you get this, like Dave talks a lot of, about how, like, you know, what the forefathers did, you know, like <laughs> the forebearers, all that kind of stuff. Like who did this before us and how can we go back and see what they did? And they pushed that limit as far as they could with the technology they had at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, um, I think that um, it's, it, it's been a very uh, efficient process of learning a lot of things um, based on the people I get to work with, but I don't know, rambled on that for a while. No, no, so it's, it's, it's all good. So, um, you know, you, uh, you know, we're here at fast at fast headquarters. Like this is, this is your day job now. Yep. So there was a point somewhere where you took the idea of fast, the work that you did with Dave and Eli mm-hmm. and, you know, ultimately made this your full-time gig. Yeah. Can you, can you tell a little bit about that portion of the journey? Yeah. So, um, so I started my software business like January 1st of 2000. So it was like 20 some years ago. And when, when COVID hit, we were, I was already, already kind of in the mode of like kind of sunsetting that and finding the next adventure. Um, it was, I think it was at the end of like 2019-ish, somewhere there that like um, Rick from Planetary Pinball like called up. And so there was a, I pitched this idea to him about doing these kind of, you know, what now everyone knows is those 2.0 projects and stuff like that. Um, there was. Can, can you say who Rick is for those? Oh yeah, uh, Rick Bartlett uh, with Planetary Pinball. Okay. So uh, all the Williams Valley licensed stuff. That's his. That's his jam. Um, so way back then, like you know, there were projects that were trying to um, create new games on the existing games and stuff, and you know, it was causing all sorts of stress and drama and stuff like that. Um, fight now over who owes who money and all that kind of crap. And I said, like, you know, you don't want to squash that enthusiasm, like, but you need to provide a path to legitimacy. Otherwise, people are going to solve it without you, and then you got to fight it. And so I pitched this whole idea way, way, way back. I think it was like 2014 or something. Um, I mean, this was so far back that this is when you, when the people that were working on 2.0 projects were like Skip B Pinball and Zidware and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, those kinds of era. Well, those endeavors like <laughs> crashed and burned massively, you know. So we were kind of like, dude, I'm burnt out on this. I must set it aside. I, I don't want to keep pushing for this. 
But when Rick called back up, was like, hey, so I think we want to do that thing you talked about. And so I said, cool. Um, there's a lot of R&D work that we need to do. But fortunately, like we've got some time right now. I mean, we're all stuck at home and stuff. So we worked out some arrangements to like kick that off um, and start iterating very quickly. I mean, we had designed initial board sets for these things back in 2014. Um, and we went through and refined these things um, to you know do it more efficiently with better designs and stuff now and better chips and things. But the big challenge there was like that was during all the like, you know, COVID part shortages, right. everything like that. I mean, we have boards that are like they were like dash six, sorry, dash six versions before they even came out because, you know, it got down to where if I didn't have like 5000 of a part in my hands at my house, we didn't put it on the bomb because mm -hmm. it was just that unreliable. Um, so anyway, so the, the the idea of, you know, we were talking about the homebrew stuff originally, right, where it was like this is um, people who want to get into pinball and they're starting with the wood and the metal and stuff. There's a whole other set of people who are interested in doing things with pinball, but don't want to start there. They're mm -hmm. software people. You yep. know, they're, I work at a video game company or I do, you know, whatever it is. So what, what came out of that whole thing was what we call like a retro platform. This is like you're taking a WPC board or a system 11 board and you're putting it into a game you already have. And um, you're writing new code against that. And that's like, that's fascinating. I mean, I think that a lot of people's concerns about messing with their pinball machine is that they're going to wreck their pinball machine. And so what we did is in the boards, like for the uh, WPC 89 and 95 era, you're just changing out the MPU, the main, you know, the main controller board with our board. In the case of the System 11 boards, you're taking the whole driver board out and putting ours in, in, in its place. And so we've worked into that to make sure that that's you know, as safe as it can be and things like that. But one big thing that I really pushed for was like, I didn't want anybody who was uh, going to be either releasing like one of these 2.0 projects or just developing and writing code to lose the game they already have. Mm -hmm. And so we focused on the emulation side of things to make sure that we can emulate the original ROMs, control it with new hardware, no latency, no delays, no it's good enough. It has to be exactly the same. And we nailed that. And I, I mean, Eli busted ass on that. Like, you know, between watching Dave and Eli work on that to be on the hardware side and the software side, lower and lower and lower down to emulating the original processors. Like, I mean, it's fascinating. And so I think that that way, like, you know, we've been a little slow to roll this out as something that the public can just take on because it's been going into these 2.0 kits and projects that are coming out. But the idea is that, like, if you were doing something with, like, I don't know, like your Whitewater. So Anthony Van Winkle took one of our boards and stuck it in a Whitewater and he made, like, a Harley Quinn-themed game. You were, you know, this was, like, the kind of thing you can do when you're not having to solve all the other engineering. But you can switch over and play Whitewater on that game at the same time. So, 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 so the value, um, the value in being able to switch using the emulation layer, and I've, you know, I've, I've, I've read what you have online and I've seen it. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so one of the questions that I've had my, myself mm -hmm. asked, and I've had others ask. I think I, I have a good frame of reference now. Sure. Um, but I, I think it's worth you, you to discuss it. Is why create a board for, for retro, um, uh. Uh, upgrade mm -hmm. rather than the tooling to let's say update the the game rom chip as an example well the game rom chip like you're saying like on the original boards themselves so you have a fixed memory limit there so you know there are groups out there like you know soren will go through and like edit and change roms and stuff like that and fix bugs and things like that but the limit is like that chip size you had to work with and with what we've set up you have infinite space basically like you know what are the changes that you can work into this and I think that's what, um, you know, you pair that with the fact that, like, eventually we're running out of ASICs, you know, and those are going to be gone. And so the kind of like, I guess the the uh, the parallel effort going on is that, like, you know, we can create replacement CPUs for anything we've got set up. So the idea being that, like, you take our board, you put it in your game, you can run the emulation as it is, and you're playing the original game with all the same peripherals, like, you know, everything downline from there has no idea it's a different board. Right. It's, it's got to be the same. So all your mods will be the same, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, having the replacement CPU stuff, I mean, we're going to end up going through, we're working our way through all of the, you know, WPC-95. I think we're going to knock that out first because there's like 13 of them. And then mm -hmm. the 89 and then all the System 11 ones. But like, you can just imagine, like, there's there's System 11 games out there that are like toasted, that are like screaming for like a rebuild. And if we can put new boards in there and at the same time, people can go and write new code on that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's exciting. And so I think that that's where like, you know, our goal was to make it so that like, this could be a platform that can go forward, but then also because we're emulating this stuff, we can see down into the memory locations of actually what's happening and then create additional state engines to track new things around this stuff so that we can create very enhanced intelligent mods. So we have like what we call our expansion bus that like basically 
um, sits on top of, or it, I guess it, it's with our boards and we can send data out um, to tell you that like, hey, player one just drained their ball or like, you know, uh, the next game started, all these different things that um, are more intelligent than just reading signal lines clamped onto existing board sets and stuff. So that's where I think that like, you know, the 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 the, the smarter, smarter mods is, is going to be really cool, I think. Um, but I think those are just the things that you have access to when you kind of set mm-hmm. the whole thing up from the ground up. So I've got um, games all the way from the EM era to my most modern, which is okay. a, which is a multimorphic P3. Um, and, you know, I've done, let's call them code updates or mm-hmm. uh, logic updates on every single one of those eras of machines. Right. And the EM one is kind of the simplest one. You just move a wire from one yeah, place yeah. to another. Um, the, and then, you know, you, you deal with the, the, with the downstream ripple. Um, sure. The, you know, I have a system 11 and a WPC where I've had to, um, pull off the, the ROM chip, mm-hmm. re, you know, have a ROM burner yep. connected to my machine, have some like antiquated 1980s or 1990s user interface. I forget who makes it right. to burn that thing. And then I've got to make sure that the pins, excuse me, line up perfectly. Um, you know, I've got a more modern, I had a stern, um, transformers where I was able to update the code over USB. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, my, my most recent multimorphic can update over, over a network and, and Wi-Fi specifically. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking over at the fast controllers next to, next to you. I see USB ports. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does, how, talk to me about the, how the code update process happens there. So we've set it up, but there's, there's lots of ways to kind of work with that. I think that like right now with uh, the 2.0 projects and stuff like that, that are out there, um, we, we have firmware that runs on our boards themselves, like physically on the boards that uh, handles all the emulation and everything. So we can package that up with software updates for these 2.0 kits. So basically they can push updates to our board um, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like if you got, if you downloaded an update and like a, if you're, if you got your Rudy's nightmare uh, Funhouse project and you get a new code update, um, they can package up the updates to our board inside of that. So when they start up, they can do the updates and it's all good. Um, we have plugged into this, like we've got a USB port in the front of it, like to be able to do software updates over that. Um, there's also there's some things that we're looking at too, um, as far as like uh, not everybody is like uh, good with physical updates and stuff right. like that. So we actually have like um, there's a port position on on our boards that uh, we're kind of setting up like a. I mean, this is we're still in, not inventing. It's like we're implementing what would basically end up being kind of like a modern ROM solution. Mm-hmm. So that way, like you know, if uh, you were buying a replacement CPU board, like. You know, you can buy that from Planetary. They can provision it to be like, you know, Tales of Arabian Nights and update that that module, put a pretty label on it that's got graphics on it that looks cool. It's like your old like Nintendo cartridges right. kind of thing. Um, and then that way, that piece can be used when the system starts up to identify, you know, what version of code on it. Is it different than me? If it is, read it, update itself, maintain that. I mean, this is all the stuff that like Eli takes care of. And so again, like I just get to be like, you know what would be great <laughs> is like if I could do this. Um, but that's that's also where like again like if if they have um, the cartridge piece that lets us have like that handles all the licensing stuff mm-hmm. built into that and everything. Um, but then if say for example like you'd already got this and that cartridge has since had an update to it, um, being able to connect to our boards with USB and update it would also update the values on that so it stays up to date. So we've really looked at like every case, even down to like you know if somebody's just not comfortable doing that. I I told you know Rick and they were at the planetary company was just like. If you got somebody that needs it, like just tell them to mail it back and push provision it again and send it to them. Or like, you know, maybe that's something you do at shows. Like, but having that option was key. On on your long term roadmap, are you looking at Wi Fi or an Ethernet based updates? I mean, there's all that functionality just gets into pushing data into things. Yeah. So like, you know, on on our controllers, um, actually like this piece here. So this is a footprint for an ESP thirty two. Okay. So I mean, all those hooks exist. You know, I think that. Where the greatest challenge there tends to be like, what is that user experience for mm-hmm. doing it? You know, because as soon as you open up uh, all the wireless access and stuff like that, now you have to deal with greater security mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So we've kind of left that as like, you know, typically in these like, you know, remake games or these 2.0 projects, you've got a, a, a CPU in the mix there. We, you know, Dave says all the time, it's like the highest level system should be doing the most complex stuff. Yeah. So if, if I can connect to Wi-Fi and download an update and then push it over the fast system, the process of updating our boards is the same, same whether they yeah. downloaded it. Um, so I think that like, you know, the idea of doing um, uh, remote updates and things like that on stuff, all those hooks exist. It's really getting down to like, you know, where we put the time and energy for it. And 
with our implementations right now, the way people are using those retro boards, especially, um, it hasn't been a problem. We've had to like lean in on this. Absolutely. And, you know, as, 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 as you know, and, you know, in, in software and as many other of our listeners know, Stern as, uh, as an example with Insider mm -hmm. Connected, you do something like that. And now you also have a whole entire service right. that you need to start running and maintaining, which has its own complexity, its own cost, et, 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 et cetera. Yeah. So we talked about the 2.0 boards a little, sure. or the, the, the 2.0 path. Right. We talked a little bit about the, the homebrew path. Sure. For a homebrewer, how does their code get onto the boards? So the code doesn't get on the boards. So basically, like we provide, like we call it our fast, fast serial protocol. It's like a set of commands that you're talking to, uh, ah, almost like okay. an API kind of thing. So when you, um, like I, I can make, a game play like an AEM with just a terminal emulator and mm -hmm. just type some commands in and now flippers work and everything. <laughs> like, like when I do the physical testing of things, I have like a text doc, I copy and paste into terminal and just send or a cool term. It just sends it over and now it's flipping. Oh, cool. So the, you don't need to do any high level code. And, and that was a big, that was a big deal in the very beginning when we were working on this, Dave and I was like, you, the person who's going to be physically building the game is not necessarily the person to be writing the game code. Right. So my fantasy world was going to be like, someone's going to be grinding away in their garage to get this thing flipping right, get the pulse strengths and stuff like that and the timing to be just right, and then give that configuration to their software person that's going to write the game code for yep. it. And so, um, so as far as like the way that our system works, you know, we've got like our watchdogs and stuff like that implemented, but everything that's like on the play field is like you're 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 configuring the system. And then the system is running. And so, like, for example, like the, the, our fast IO boards, the boards that, you know, our driver boards and switch inputs that live on the play field. Um, for example, if a, if a switch gets red, it's like resolving that, firing what it's supposed to, and then telling the, the controlling PC what happened. So we, we're not doing like, you know, timing that's like, say it's five milliseconds because I need it to be as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. It's like, the configuration you put in is actual time, you know, and so, that's a big deal. So it's the controlling PC that's actually, let's call it the game logic. Right, exactly. Okay. And so we're basically just like the physical stuff like that needs to be like immediate and right away is handled like in hardware. And then, you you know, you can obviously send commands to fire things up, up above. Like if you're going to do like a, like a trophy jack or something like that, where you're going to, you know, it, the ball sits down there and then you're going to play some animations and sounds and then fire when that finishes. That command can be triggered like at any time too. But it was really down about like, you know, managing the bandwidth uh, and the communication and stuff like that for reducing latency. That's got to happen like in hardware, you know, and then moving upstream from that, like all the complexities for your screen animations and everything else. Um, we always tell people when they ask, like, what kind of computer do I need to control this? It's like, you know, basically it's down to your screen assets right. and your and your and your audio and stuff, you know. So, you know, if you're running Unity for real time, interactive, you know, screen content and stuff like that. Um Great. Like that's that's gonna need a certain PC. Other stuff can be running on like teeny Raspberry Pi or something, right. you know. So it really doesn't take much. So um the you know, one of the first of all, I have a ton of admiration for you for having, you know, started the business, you know, identified a, a I don't it's a niche, but it's a very strong niche. It's an important one. I mean, that's what I do my entire podcast on, is that is that specific niche. Um and you found all these two point um partners to work with mm -hmm. but you also have a few let's call them non 2.0 like like full uh pinball machines mm -hmm. that are being manufactured that are using fast fa fast controllers in them do, do you want to talk about those partnerships uh yeah i mean it's that, you know, we designed the platform to be a commercial platform you know not like an after the fact we'll go through and make it more robust and that that comes from like you know dave's career on developing systems for way more complex stuff than fast <laughs> pinball ever would be but so starting with it being a, a commercial platform and then drilling that down to, you know, working with home home users and then up to like, you know, we kind of look at this like that indie pinball thing. So that's when I you go from homebrew to in, in my terminology, an indie pinball company is like you're a small company. You're kind of bootstrapping this thing and figuring it out and stuff. And, you know, I mean, one of the, the most prominent companies like that we're working with right now is uh, Haggis Pinball in yep. Australia. And so their Fathom uh, game is all built on our on our platform. and. You know, it's been so fun getting to know those guys and stuff like that, because, again, like I get the complexities of like, you know, starting a company and then starting a pinball company is even more insane. And then, you know, for them, it was starting a company and then COVID hits on top of that. I mean, right. it's like, give the guy a break, you know, like, come on. But I think that like it's I, you know, back to we've talked about our love for like platform stuff. And I think that like there's that whole other layer of it where it's like, sure, you can build it. But then how do you get the opportunity to build it? And even better. The opportunity to continue to keep building it, you know, and that's I'm so 
interested and excited about all that stuff. And, you know, I think that, you know, just like with anything, like, you know, you're, you're, if you're an entrepreneur minded person, business person, um, that's, there's a camaraderie that comes around that and stuff like that. And, and, you know, when I first met, um, Damien, it was like, you kind of like, yeah, I know my stuff, you know, your stuff, whatever, but we've got to be friends over. And we actually met the first time in real life at TPF this last, uh, March or whatever. Um, first time we were ever in the same place at the same time, but we do video calls, you know, all the time and talk about like, you know, what's next and stuff. And we were actually on for like, I think like three hours last night, our longest call ever. For, for the listener, <laughs> do you mind saying who Damien is? Oh, uh, Damien, uh, Harden from, uh, uh, Haggis Pimble. So he started the company there. Uh, but yeah, we were just talking last night about like, you know, what's next, what are the different projects, you know, what are the big picture near term things? Like we've been doing things, uh, with the companies that we're working with, um, you know, in this smaller pinball company category, the idea of having like, you know, high caliber people on staff to do the stuff, nobody's got the budget for that. Right. So what we really pushed was like, use our platform. We think it's super cool. We think it's going to do everything you need. But then when you run into something that you haven't seen yet, like raise your hand and we can jump in and help. Absolutely. And that was something uh, even actually in the um, in the uh, Haggis situation with Fathom, they were using like a, a fade candy board for their lighting initially. And just as they're getting ready to launch the whole thing, that company just quit making those. They got in a fight with Adafruit <laughs> or something like that. And like, they're just, we're not doing this anymore. And so it was like, Hey, so, uh, help. And so we whipped up like a, a, a board for them to use in their game. Like, I think it was like over like 24, 48 hours, like, and it was off getting made and back and testing and stuff. And so those are the things where it's like, you know, use our platform, but then when you run into a wall or you just don't have the bandwidth for it, like, you know, there's another company we're working with that's still in stealth mode right now. Um, we did their light boards and stuff for them. You know, it's like for us to go through and do your light boards. I mean, light boards in pinball are not rocket science, but oh my gosh, if that's your first project, you're going to find all the ways you're going to mess it up. Right. The, the logos are backwards. The connectors are inverted. Like, you know, the viewing tool looks right, but we know it's actually not correct. Like that's where like, you know, for us to spend, you know, 15 hours laying out light boards that are going to absolutely work is extremely beneficial for like this group. So you kind of get this ally camaraderie kind of thing. And that's where like, you know, there are so many challenges that people starting a, a company and a pinball company um, are going to need to solve. You don't want engineering to be an afterthought, right? Because that's where we've seen a lot of these companies um, get down that path of ways and then find out that like, crap, what do we do now? We've run into a roadblock. And then what you find like an engineer who's you hope is going to do his research and get caught up on the platform you're using and try and solve your problem. Like, just jump on a, like a video call with us and we'll like get riffing on a solution and get it out and get it back to you. And it's actually pretty cool <laughs> in, in the, in the, you know, professional world, um, you have solutions integrators and solutions providers, you know, or, or, right. or and you also have OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. Sure. Like I, I think a naive look at fast would be that you guys are an OEM, but actually mm-hmm. based on what you're saying, there's, there's some solutions integration and solutions mm-hmm. providing functionality that you're also giving some white glove service to these, to these pinball manufacturers. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's like, super fun. I mean, like, uh, cause here's the thing. It's like, you know, I'm a, I've had you know, friends tell me that it's like, I'm, I'm attracted to the most complicated situation that presents itself. <laughs> so it's like, Hey, friends starting a pinball company. Like that's, that's it. That's kind of the, the, one of the peaks there. So, you know, I love the idea of being like, Hey, like you've got this game, you're trying to get this kicked off and stuff like that. Like come down and hang out for a week and just like roll sleeves up and build stuff, you know? And I think that, you know, whatever people need, like, there is just that good balance between like, yeah, like we got to make sure our time is getting covered. But I think that if you present good value, that's a non-issue. And I think in fact, like the camaraderie that you get out of having, you know, I mean, like <laughs> to be able to show up on site, I mean, we've been talking for like what, half an hour, 40 minutes here. Like I have a certain energy that I put out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like legitimately excited about whatever somebody's working on. And I'll ask a lot of questions. Why are you doing this? What is the reason here? And I want to get in your head a little bit so I can be like, finding the actual area I can help out. And that, I love that stuff. And I think that's where like our goal would be like, if you're going to build on fast, like let's do a lot of projects. And if you get the thing kicked off, if there's things we can do to kind of like get the engine turned over and running, like that's the easy, that's the exciting part for us. Let's get it rolling and then go from game to game to game. Now at previous Northwest pinball shows, you've uh, worked as a tech, right? No, no, never. Mm -mm. Okay. You know, it's funny as much as I do with like electronics and stuff like that, I will not fix your pinball machine for you. I've got my buddy, Richard Godwin, like he's the guy that like, whenever we have 2.0 projects, stuff that we're doing here, I hire him to come down and go through that machine top to bottom. So it's like, you know, location ready. It could be played hands off perfectly mm-hmm. because somebody who does that knows 
uh, this connector's toasty. This is something to be a problem later on. I don't know all that stuff. And I, again, like I know people that do. So um, if you ask me to fix your machine, I will send you his information and you can go do that. So anyway, sorry. No, 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 <laughs> uh, no, no, to totally good. Um, So let's, uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the Northwest Pinball and Arcade Show. Sure. Um, so you are active with the planning group. You do repair parties here yeah. at, at Fast Headquarters. Um, you know, uh, how did you get involved with the show? And what are, you know, what are some of your plans for 2023? I mean, got involved in the show originally way, way, way back. Like um, when I was making like the first game I took the show was like a, a Nintendo Popeye game. Like I'd gotten into one, repaired it really well. And, you know, I was the new person showing up, bringing stuff in. Um, got to know a lot of those people really quick. And it was like, you know, it's a bunch of people that are into some really obscure, like, quirky stuff but it was it, you know that's been like our community up here is very strong um you know like we talk about the like, repair parties and stuff and the, the repair parties is like people get together and they've got tons of tools and experience and stuff but they're not going to fix it for you no. they're going to tell you what to do to fix it and you should take advantage of every bit that they're teaching you there and i think that that's that's a that's kind of in the dna of like our show so as we got into doing what we were doing with fast it was like you know uh we had uh there've been a lot of conversations and stuff like that. I mean, even before like, you know, COVID hit and we took a little break there. Um, Chris Walsh, who was like the chairman yep. founder of all that stuff, um, really wanted to push um, for like, you know, an innovative track, like to bring new tech and stuff like that into it. Because now there's so many shows out there, like, you know, different pinball shows that exist and the novelness of going and playing these classic games is kind of satiated. And so you can go and play them all over. That's fine. So really looking at like what was going to be distinctive about what we do at the Northwest show, like, you know, what Chris Walsh wanted was like, make this a place where people are going to come and like learn new things. Like that's kind of fitting with the mission for the show about, you know, being, you know, uh, a nonprofit, like, you know, create place, an incentive to come in and learn and experience things. And so, um, so what we had always done kind of with our booth, especially here, because we, it's easier to bring a lot of stuff would be like kind of this range of, you know, here's playable homebrews to projects that are in progress to some random stuff we're working on at the time to, I might be fixing a board at the table. Like, I mean, just to show that whole arc of things. Um, but going forward, like, you know, what we're really trying to do, uh, you know, we, we call it like, we, uh, we want to do like, we call it like a pin dev con, mm -hmm. like a, a pinball developer conference kind of thing, you know, and what that is yet, like it's all, we're kind of making this up, but Brian Madden, you know, who we work with here, like um, a lot of his background is like an event planning, like putting on like big trade show or events and stuff like that. So, you know, pairing that with like, I used to put on concerts and stuff. So mm -hmm. the idea of like creating an experience is like what we're really trying to do. And so as we've gone to shows and uh, we do presentations and stuff like that and talks, but what definitely has, especially after, you know, COVID lockdown went away, what we really, I guess we're able to focus on is people want that experience of like, yeah, I've read, I've seen your videos. I've watched your talks. I've read your docs, all that kind of stuff. But like, I heard you were here. So I want to come and like, ask you the question. I don't know how to ask, you know? And that's, that's really kind of rekindled the idea of like, we need to make, uh, we need room and the opportunity to do deeper conversations and experiences that you can't do shouting at each other in a booth right. you know, when it's super loud. And Absolutely. So, so I think what we're probably going to do this year, um, you know, we've got a lot of great speakers and stuff like that coming to the show this year. In fact, like, you know, I wasn't able to get my request in for a talk early enough and it was all filled up, you know, and, which was disappointing. But it also created a, a, an opportunity to come up with another solution. And so, um, you know, and again, all in the early, you know, tinkering stages. But I, I think what we're going to do, and we'll see what this turns into by the time we get there. But I want to do like a, we're calling it like a little fast theater and do something that like in a corner of the space uh, in the venue, do something where maybe we've got like 16 chairs or something like that. And we just do something where it's like, hey, like every hour, every couple hours, somebody's going to walk up here and talk about something, you know, and maybe we plan that out in the head so that if somebody says like, he was looking at a schedule. I'm like, oh, you know, Anthony, you know, who's doing the Swords of Vengeance game is going to be sitting at two o'clock talking about like, you know, rule design and risk versus reward or whatever that is, you know. So I think that this is kind of like something we're experimenting with to see, like, could, would some of this deeper dive stuff be attractive? And then maybe that's something that like, you know, I was meeting with the hotel next door and looking at spaces and stuff to say, like, could we create a something that ran in parallel with the show? So maybe like you come to the Northwest and your family's there and you're going to the show and Maybe, you know, one of you is ducking out for an hour to go sit in on a certain talk because, um, you know, they're in the software track kind of thing. But I think that um, that deeper experience is the focus. And, you know, there's a lot of good ideas floating around where some people like have asked, like, could you set up in a way that like I could come in with my laptop and plug into a physical game and actually see it do some things? And so 
you know, the ideas around like maybe we have um, we have like some starter code that you can go and download and you can develop it virtually and then bring your laptop to the show and plug it into the actual game and see what it actually does. I mean, those are those experiences that it's very hard to get to the point to have that experience yep. if you're not physically there and the thought hasn't been around about like, you know, what would that look like in real life? One one of the things that I've, you know, I've dreamed about is there's a lot of people who have, like you, you like you said earlier, there's like software developers who really know how to code, but don't mm-hmm. necessarily know how to build cabinets as an example. Sure, sure. Or there are those that know how to do electronics, but don't necessarily know how to do programming very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody brings their strength to the table. Yeah. Um, I actually thought it would be a lot of fun both for novices and experienced folks to, you know, pretty much separate to one of the big expos, have a immersive hackathon yeah. style, like, like homebrew custom pin event. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think over the next coming years, based on what I'm seeing, I think there's going to be an opportunity to do that type of thing. I, I think that it's just like, it's, it's just another like opportunity to have a good experience. You know, like we've, we've, we've thrown around all sorts of different ideas around that with like, you know, if we do this developer conference kind of thing, I would like it to be something that maybe starts a couple days before our show, yeah. you know, and it's like, you come in early, stay an extra couple days and then have that whole full experience. And I think that, you know, like the different ideas we've thrown around too is like, you know, I, I used to say all the time, I want to have like a pinball summer camp, you know? There's actually a pinball summer camp, like tournament series kind of thing now. So that name has been taken. But like, you know, we used to joke about like, yeah, just pull a camper into, you know, on the property here and we'll, we'll hook up some pinball machines under the, under the stars and just goof off and build things for a couple of days. But I just love that experience kind of. And, and there's, there's actually a, a second value add. Um, both you and I have kids who are interested in right. STEM. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, you were talking about your buddy who's a tech. What was his name again? Uh, Richard Gubb. R- Richard. Um, you know, and I, I know, I know a few very, very talented techs in the Northwest mm-hmm. area. Um, they're few and far between, and there are more and more pinball machines coming. Yeah. And so there's definitely a need for a pipeline of folks who can work on these yeah. machines, who can, you know, keep them up to snuff because even, even new Sterns, they break down. Yeah. And so getting, you know, building up these, these camps to build out a pipeline is, is a, is a really, really great idea. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's just finding the spark, I guess, too, of like an idea. It's like, I mean, like you can see over here, all these 3D printers, right? Like, I don't know how to run those. Like, I mean, I can figure it out, but like my son runs them for me. Like, and he builds and designs, he got down into making like uh, earrings, um, 3D printed little animals and stuff that he paints and stuff and sells them in his Etsy store and like <laughs> uses money to build drones and stuff now. And it's like, just that little bit of spark is like, you know, I tell my kids, like, you're never going to be limited by access to tools or computing power if you show the actual need for it. Right. You know, I'm not going to just buy a badass computer and like turn you loose on it or get a CNC for you to like mess around with. Like, but if you've pushed every limit you have, like we can solve. That. And I think that that's the big thing right now that a lot of kids are just not exposed to enough is like the chance to kind of tinker and experiment and stuff. And we have like, you know, birthday parties and stuff here with the kids and stuff. And eventually one of the kids finally comes up to me and goes, Mr. Davis, can I go see your workshop? And it's like, all right. So then we come out and all the kids are out here playing pinball and looking at stuff under the microscopes and things like that. And that's, that is so satisfying because I think that again, it's, it's hard to get access to a lot of the stuff. And I think that, you know, fortunately, like my kids have this stuff as a default and their friends can come over and tinker with it and stuff. And it's, that's really like, I, I, I agree with you. It's like, it's really got to, got to find ways to get people interested in things. And they're not going to be driven by the nostalgia that we are, you know? that we were interested in these games because we played them as kids. Right now it's like a STEM, a STEM class in a literal box is what a pinball machine is. You know, every discipline is in this box. So, yeah. So I'm um, uh, going back to the, the control boards you have, you've got a few different product lines. We sure. talked about the retro one yeah, uh, and you've got a new one as well. The, the nebula, uh, the neuron, neuron, excuse yeah. me, my, my apologies. Um, why don't you spend a little bit of talking about what, what each of them is for? So, um, yeah, so we, we 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 split our our worlds into two camps. There's like we call the retro, which is plugging electronics into the existing pinball machines, and then we call our modern platform, which is like you're basically driving things from scratch and stuff. And this may be in the form of like you know you're doing a remake, and we're running emulation, and we're using our modern platform like our neuron controller um, to do that. You know, and so um, that is uh, the modern platform is like you know, I mean that's what our homebrewers have been using for. I don't know, whenever we started doing this, like a zillion years ago. Um, but uh, but that is basically the same platform. So the idea that like the modern platform is designed so that, you know, we're going to iterate on like, you know, different versions of those boards that exist over the years, but they come in like different configurations. Like our, our play field, like, you know, node board is what, like people call that with like in the Stern ecosystem. But like 
we'll have like our 3208 board, which is like 32 switches and eight drivers. But the system identifies that and its resources built into it. And it's, it's abstracting the physical part of it away. So say, you know, you bought a board seven years ago and then you buy another one seven years from now. It may be a totally different processor on it, but functionally it's identical. Yep. So we really tried to future proof those designs so that, um, you know, again, like if, if somebody bought a, uh, a Fathom Mermaid edition from Haggis, like, and seven years from now, like one of those boards blew up because you thought you were tinkering with something, a screwdriver hit the wrong spot. I don't know. You could just get another board from us off the shelf, plug it in, it'll update itself to the, the version of code that's on there and you're off to the races. So that modern platform was really just like, what would we do if we designed this from scratch today? And actually that was the big bonding thing with Dave and I in the beginning was like, he knew what he wanted to do on a pinball platform, being a huge pinball pan- fan and a killer engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked together to like come up with what that solution is. So that the modern platform is really like if you're creating something new or you're, you plan to manufacture something you know new, you'd do that on a modern platform. Has anybody come to you outside of the pinball industry looking at your modern platform? <laughs> it's, if you can talk about it. No, it's, I mean, I, I think that uh, it, it I, I laugh because like, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that have names that are like, you know, Aaron's Arcade and it's like nothing to do with arcade stuff. It's just a fun name to put things like Fast Pinball is actually a pinball company, but it's a, like an engineering electronic software like kind of company. And I, I we have had people who come up to us at shows and things like that who've said like okay what you do here is is killer and like you're holding physical boards like that are not in packaging so you can't hide the fact that that design looks well produced or not right. so i mean it's like you have no packaging you can't hide things away so the the boards are their own promotion so if an engineer is looking at a board going i don't see any reason why this shouldn't work and i don't see any poor decisions and designs on here now it's like okay i'm more interested in like a a, a deeper conversation not like can you do it? It's like, could you do this? And I think that there is a lot that is going on in technology these days that are modernizing existing systems and stuff. So I think that while there's nothing specific that we're working on along those lines, I think that um, I can I, I can see scenarios that you know applying the technology that we've we produced into different you know in a different contexts and stuff like that would be completely reasonable. I think there's um, there's an opportunity in industrial control. There could be an opportunity in industrial controllers. And in robotic systems, yeah. um, you know, I, I I work on robots during the day, and then I work on pinball machines at night. Um, and to me, these are just robots under glass. Yeah. Is so, the way the way I look so at it. So let's find some fun ways to put things together into <laughs> other other spaces because I, I love a challenge. So. Well, I just I just want to see fast fast grow and, and be and you 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 and the rest of the crew be successful. So um, you know, we've we've spent the last just about an hour talking about fast, talking about you, your history. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and 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 the products you have, the partnerships you have, the community that you've been building. Um, if there's somebody out there listening um, on to the uh, podcast and wants to go and build a homebrew, uh-huh. wants to go and build a custom, and they don't know where to start, what would be Aaron Davis's advice? Man, uh, that's you got me with a question I don't have an answer to right now. <laughs> so I, I would say like. You know, you got to start someplace. And I think that what I've definitely learned over the years is that like everybody's like daunting first step or everybody's hard part is different. So like some people are too intimidated by the idea of cutting some wood. So they're just not going to do anything or the idea of like plugging stuff in is scary. So they're going to be held back. It's like you've got to you need an interesting problem to solve. So I think that like what I always tell people is like imagine something you want to see exist and work towards solving that. And I think that. A lot of times, um, you know, I mean, there's people who start their pinball like building journey with like building the cabinet, you know, and I'm like, why would you start there? Like, that's like the easiest part. And people are like, what are you talking about? Woodworking is the hard part. And so I think that like, I guess if you want to get started on it, it's like find and go and play like games at shows. Go find the homebrew guys like they're going to be running all over the place, trying to keep things running, like excited and talking to everybody that comes up. But like pick up on that vibe, like ask questions. I mean. You know, years ago at the at the uh, Pinball Expo in Chicago, um, we were doing a talk there and it was, you know, we we're all scrambling to get there. We got there and everybody's games were like not quite finished. I was super stressed out about that because I felt like it was going to be a poor experience. But all those games being open, people were like, I've never seen inside of this. Right. And then talking about people, what they were doing was really great. But so we had this talk that we were doing and we kind of whipped it up in the last minute and they asked for a title. And I said, I, we're calling this Making Pinball, Making Friends. And that was it. And then it was like getting people up on stage to talk about it. And, and uh, uh, Mark and City, who was there, 
who did the Nightmare Before Christmas uh, homebrew project, um, I said, hey, you should come up and, and talk with us. Brian Madden was leading the interview and stuff like that. And he was like, I, I, I don't want to do that. You know, it was kind of the idea of getting on stage was not something he was into. And I said, Mark, like everybody that's coming to this talk wants to do what you do. So anything you yeah. say is like captive ears and stuff. And he got up there and just nailed it. I mean, I saw the pictures where he's just sitting back, just like leading this conversation. It was awesome. And I think that that's, that was where um, that show was a big deal. Cause I think it was like the first very central experience where a lot of people were bringing things from all over the place, you know? And I think that being around that stuff is like motivating because you can see like, wow, this person I'm talking to here seems a lot like me as a family has limited time, but somehow still pulled it off. It's like, okay, I've got fewer excuses to actually do it. And I think that once you do get started, like, you know, in our fast, we have a fast Slack channel and you can only get in there if you've bought hardware. And I got tons of crap about that in the beginning because it was like, well, you're being exclusive. I'm like, yeah, I'm being exclusive because everybody in there has got skin in the game. Everybody in there who's got an idea and telling you what you think you need to fix has actually probably done it, you know? And so very quickly it became like a good like filter for like no armchair quarterbacks, like get in there, get doing it. <laughs> But the other benefit of that was like accountability. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going, hey, I got to get this light show running on my game um, and you don't do anything all weekend and watch crap rerun TV. Now you got to admit to everybody on, sun on Monday when they ask, hey, how to go this weekend? You're like, I didn't do it. <laughs> it's just that little bit of accountability that is great. And if you've got a little problem, um, you can get over that hump because somebody else has already done it. So I don't know. I, I this answer this question in a roundabout way. It's like you've got to just engage one way or another. Whether that's like, go go to our website, read the docs. Like Brian Madden is a documentation, like madman. Your docs are fantastic. And that's, that's all Brian. And you know, it's funny. It's like, I'm a, I'm a visual thinker and stuff like that. And like technical documentation is like the inverse of everything that I do. I want to tell a story. You can't tell a story in tech docs. He kind of does, you know, yeah. that's his expertise. So that is, I mean, and that's actually been a great addition to everything we do of late because I love reading the docs, hearing about how cool our stuff is, you know, and there are plenty of people that will stand back who are more technical, who want to read about what you're doing before they engage. And now I feel like we've kind of got that nailed. So like I said, you've got to find a way to engage. It's going to be different for everybody. But I mean, I, I, I don't know any, let me think for a second. I don't know any homebrew people that are jerks, mm -hmm. you know, that wouldn't like, I mean, there might be the wrong time to bug them at a show. Yeah, absolutely. See, if somebody's holding a soldering iron, give them a minute, yeah. you know, but I think that most everybody would love to share the journey and stuff like that with you. So find that way to engage. In fact, I think we need a sign at every show that says, if I'm holding a soldering iron, give me a minute. Yeah, I, um, for sure. The, so, 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 so look, your, your, your suggestions, just to summarize a couple of things, just to, to, to repeat them, yeah, yeah. um, you know, a find people in the community and talk to them. Um, B identify the things that you might have more comfort in compared to the things that you might have less yeah. comfort in either buy or or otherwise acquire um trade etc the parts that you might be less comfortable with yeah. and focus on the part that you might have some jumping off point find those that can help you um and just go and do it make make yeah. whatever little time you can and and push forward on yeah, it Yeah, band together i mean like you know i i describe it to people as like there's the thing that you're good at there's the thing that you're interested in doing and there's the thing you don't want to have to do Okay, so the middle ground there, you're probably going to tinker with, but like that other side, there's somebody with that inverse experience, you know? And so I think that like there are groups like who are building with fast that like, and I can always tell the progress of what progress of what they're doing because one person will buy an additional board, ship it off to them. And a few weeks later, the three other people order the same board and update their game because they're building the, the, one of those projects is like they're building the same game, but in four places, around mm -hmm. three or four places and stuff. And so, but again, you find that overlap and stuff like that. And that's super cool. I mean, I love seeing like, like there was a, when we were building the peanuts game originally, it was like, I had this concept of like, I want to have this, um, uh, Snoopy's doghouse, And at the top of it had, you know, this rotating wheel that had like, this is he's sleeping on top. And then the multi-ball mode was the red Baron mode. Yep. So it rotates around and now it's him <laughs> flying on top. Of it. And it's like, I knew exactly what I want to be. And, and Michael Rourke down in, in, in Portland was like, Dude, I can make that. Like, model it up, print it, and send it to me. And all I did too was mount the servo on it. Was done. That's amazing. I mean, he did the same thing for uh, Mark and City's like bathtub on the uh, Nightmare for Christmas game. It's like, don't let modeling something and getting a three D print slow down your momentum. <laughs> We'd all love to take a break from the madness of our own project to tinker on some other fun thing for a while. So that's where like the camaraderie around that stuff is so cool. Definitely cool. Well, listen, Aaron, this is this has been fantastic. We're butting up just a just over an hour, and cool. so. I think we should we should cut it here. Um, was there anything that we should have covered or that you wanted us to cover that we didn't? 
Ah, uh, man, I don't know. I, I, I think that uh, there's, there, there's uh, like we were just talking about, find ways to engage. Like, I mean, we're all looking for reasons to learn new things and make new friends and stuff like that. And like, you know, all the best friends I've made um, in my life have been around like, hey, let's let's work on something together. And you, you get that you get that quality time spent around something. And pinball has been such a great vehicle for that. So I don't know. I mean, there's 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 an excuse for not doing things, but for making pinball and making time and stuff like that for it and in, including family, including friends and stuff like that. It, it is an experience that you can share. So speak, speaking of friends, speaking of family and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, w- work uh, counterparts, um, is there anybody you want to give shout outs to before we, we close down? Well, I mean, my my cohorts here at Fast, I mean, Dave Beecher, like Eli Kurtz, Brian Madden, like we do this stuff every single day. We're on usually on, if you weren't here. I have a video call up and we'd just be talking to, to each other like we're in the same room. Um, I mean, the whole, I mean, Anthony Van Winkle, another local guy here, um, he was working on, like a lot of these guys do the the uh, the MPF support and everything else, um, the Mission Pinball Framework. Uh, there's just, there is, I mean, I, I could list tons and tons of people, but like the bottom line is that like, I am so fortunate, like the success I have with all this stuff, like I'm on the shoulders of giants with these things. And like, I love, advocating for and making all the ideas of everybody I work with even greater. So, so yeah, I mean, if I didn't name you, like, no, I'm thinking about you right now. Look, look, man, you're living the dream. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. Um, I'm really glad that I came down here to yeah. see it firsthand. And I look, I look forward to being at the show this year with you and, and future shows at Expo. Um, there's a bunch I want to do with, with customs and, and homebrew there as well. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Cheers, man. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I can't wait to see what you make.